Hey, this is Jen, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adults Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. All right, Genesis 11, 1 through 9, says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech." So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Amen. Thank you, Cass. Uh, Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you humbly and in need asking for you to open our hearts and open our minds to receive all that it is that you have for us, that your spirit would move and work and transform the hearts and minds of your children because we need it. We cannot do it in our own volition. We can't do it in our own efforts. We need you to work on our behalf because our works are much like dirty rags, but we need the beautiful, pure work and righteousness of you, Father. So would you do that for us tonight? And Lord, I ask for me that you would only allow me to say the words that your spirit desires for me to speak. For these people do not need Caesar. They need Jesus. And so Lord, humble me and forgive me for any places where I want to say my opinions or my thoughts over yours. I need your words tonight just as much as they do, Father. Spirit move, spirit breathe, and may we accept all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, welcome everybody. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Caesar. I am the Young Adult Director here. And uh, this is the last week in our three-part sermon series called Kingdom Calling. And so if this is your first time or you missed the second week or you missed the first week, um, there might be just a little bit of tidbits that might not make complete sense, but it's okay. I would encourage you to go back on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever it is that you listen to your uh, podcasts, and you can look up Mosaic Young Adults, and you'll be able to listen back to the ones that we've gone through, including tonight once it comes out in a couple days. But um, I'm going to try my best to just quickly recap the last two weeks so that this this week makes a little bit more sense. And so this last, the first week, uh, we together discussed the topic of work, um, because that's what the sermon series is about. It's about work. And our work needs to be filtered through the lens of worship and service, right? Like all of our work is based on love of God and love of people. And this is ultimately rooted in our identity as sons and daughters of God. 
And then the second week, we discussed how the world looks at work as a continuum, either you're a success or a failure, but that the life of Jesus models a different way and a truer way of viewing and learning about work. That our view of work begins much like the way Jesus worked, that he worked in a way where he died to self and it was glorified in that way. And so our work too is not about success or failure. It is about dying to self for the glory of him and his people. But tonight, as we wrap up this sermon series, it, while it would be helpful maybe to talk a little bit more about work or be a little bit more practical, the reality is that there's another aspect of work or another angle of work that we have a really hard time of accepting, not just as young adults, but just as humanity. Because while we were made to work, we also were made to rest. Anybody like rest? Who likes rest? Good, cool, that's awesome, great. But it's a foreign concept, right? Like, let's be real. It's a really foreign concept to, to many of us. So when I was growing up, the, the adage was, I'll sleep when I'm dead. There it goes. I guess I'm not the only one who heard that growing up. But you see, well, this is what rest is and isn't. Rest is not the absence of work, okay? Rest is not doing nothing. Rest is also not achieved when you finally, if you're that productivity junkie, uh, checking that box off on your to-do list that day. That is also not where rest should be coming from. But rest ultimately stems from remembering that there is a good God who keeps the universe in motion and we don't have to be the ones that hold the world in our hands. That's where rest is coming from. And the rest of this evening, we'll be hopefully discussing and proving to you that that is how we will learn as disciples of Jesus what true rest is. But while many of us know that God controls the universe, or at least we think we know, in our minds intellectually, the way that we work and the state of our souls tell a much different story. I mean, when is the last time you didn't respond to the question of when someone asks you, how are you doing, and you didn't say, I'm good, just really tired? Anybody? Or, I'm okay, I've just had a really busy week. Yeah, I just did that four times today. Been like the last hour. Like how many of us are counting down the days till Thanksgiving vacation? Or how many of us are willing to admit that our work is the main source of our anxiety? It's so interesting that the one thing that we desire, rest, somehow seems to be the one thing we are truly running away from. I was doing this a little bit of research because I, I understand there's a large scope of age groups here and fall both in the scope of millennials and Gen Z. And no, I'm not gonna make any Gen Z jokes and I'm not gonna make any uh, millennial jokes and I'm not gonna make any baby boomer jokes because this, this is really too serious to make a joke about. You see, for millennials like myself, um, instead of being known for being the generation that knows how to rest, we are known as the generation that knows how to overwork ourselves and burn out. And not only are we only known for being burnouts and overworking ourselves, but we wear it as a badge of honor. According to a survey uh, taken by this project called Project Time Off, 40% of millennials comprise what was called the work martyr category, and we're proud of it. And if you're wondering what a work martyr is, it's somebody who feels ashamed of taking time off. Now, Forbes reported that among the themes the survey touched on in terms about being a work martyr is that they don't want others to think that they are replaceable and that they feel guilty for using their, their paid time off. Because for millennials, work tends to be a place where they discover their identity or at least where they get their identity from. Because millennials expect work to make them matter. 
and to help them tell them who they are and who they're meant to be in this world. Millennials are concerned that if they do not work, they will not matter. But Gen Z has a different approach to this a little bit. They don't have the same temptation to make work their identity. In fact, Gen Z has no problem telling everybody what their identity is. For them, instead, work becomes a place that brings money, just like millennials, it's the same thing. We both work to get money. But what money offers them is freedom to finally have rest, have fun, and be who they think they are. Freedom to be who I want to be and to do whatever I want to do. Work will let me live out my dreams But because of this, Gen Z places the expectation on their work to give them all the resources they need to achieve their dreams. But when work gets hard, it generates this anxiety for them because when the workplace becomes unhealthy, as many workplaces are, they refuse to quit because if they don't work, they'll never achieve their heart's greatest desires. Maybe this is some of you. But as you hear me give these generalities, I know it's not exactly everybody's story, but it paints a close enough picture for what we may experience in our 20s. Doesn't this sound exhausting? Like constantly trying to validate your existence at your job or continually being paranoid that you'll never live out your dreams because by the time you get enough money to actually take a vacation, you're closer to the grave than you are to your being born. And there's no wonder why then anxiety and depression seem to be so intricately linked to our workplace because it is the one place that we put all our eggs in our basket for and yet it never gives the return that we're hoping for it to give. I remember when I was in college, I had this internship at a a law firm and it was, uh, I'll be honest, you know, it was a really, it was a rather prestigious law firm and it was in the heart of Wall Street in New York City. And I was one of two college interns and the other guy was a junior or a senior maybe, but I was a freshman. So I thought I must be the smartest kid here. I must be a hot shot. And the reality is I was just making good money only because I didn't have to pay rent and I was living at home. And I felt better than my classmates because in order to get this internship, I had to beat all these other students, these other pre-law students at a mock trial. And so I impressed the senior partner well enough to be offered this position. And so from the moment I got this position, I had one goal. I needed to secure my place there, which is laughable because an intern isn't really even like a, a desired position. Like, you're not even on the tree. Like, you're not even the roots, man. You're like the rock on the other side. Like, it's what they use to build things on top of. Not because they don't need you. I'm sorry if you're an intern. This is true. <laughs> I'm sorry to break your heart here. You can leave if you'd like, but I hope there's hope in the rest of this message for you. But I really wanted to impress the the senior law partner, Mr. Seeger. That was his name, Mr. Seeger. And it went well because after a few weeks, he was inviting me out to lunch. And I even got to meet his family. And what I started to notice is that everything that Mr. Seeger had, I really desperately wanted as an 18-year-old guy. He had an office overlooking the Hudson River. And he had a huge apartment in Manhattan. And he had this really attractive younger wife, which I soon discovered was his second wife. And over the coming weeks, I worked really hard and hard and hard. And Mr. Seeger finally took me aside one afternoon and told me, if I stayed in this law firm during my internship through college and I went through law school and stayed working there as a paralegal, I would be secured a full-time job at at the law firm. I would be a junior partner. What a dream. Because after law school and college, I'd be only 26, I'd be finally be able to move out of my parents' house, have a six-figure salary, and move into a super sexy apartment in Manhattan, I would finally be something or someone. 
And I was so excited. I was like, did it. 19 years, 18 years old, by the way, it was my birthday. So 19 years old, and I'm promised in about 10 years, I'll finally matter. I won't be an intern anymore. And then I was, because I stayed late, because I wanted to prove my worth. I thought I was doing anything but answering emails. I it dawned on me, um, every night I had left, there was a junior partner that was there every night. I forget her name. Uh, but she had just gotten married right as I started my internship. And her and I were logging the exact same hours. She had just gotten married, and she was married more to her job than she was to her husband. And it was a curious thing, because if I'm newly married, I'm trying to be home. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm trying to be home as, as much as possible. But this person was not. <laughs> That's not what I meant, but whatever. <laughs> and then I remembered my senior partner was on a second wife, which shouldn't be that much of a surprise because if he, was, if he was putting the same hours as the junior partner was when he was a junior partner, he probably didn't have much of a marriage to begin with. And then the paralegals, which are the ones that I used to work more closely with as, a, as an intern, they went drinking every night to drown the misery of their day in the hopes that they would find someone to finally sleep with to make some kind of joy to their day out of a miserable week. And then I had asked myself the question, is this what work was supposed to provide me? A six-figure salary, a nice office space, but at the cost of what? Love? Joy, my very soul. I mean, it reminds me of what Jesus says in Mark 8, 36. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? But the question isn't, isn't what is the cost? The question really is, is what would drive any of us to pursue that kind of life? What is so alluring that we'd give up our marriages and our families for? What would move us to spend more time in our cubicles than with the ones that we love? What convinces us to trade in a life of rest for a life of anxiety? Why place all our hopes and dreams on a paycheck that disappears as quickly as it enters our bank accounts? When did we become satisfied, truly, when did we become satisfied with being operated like machines in a factory instead of living as human in God's good kingdom? When did that change? Well, tonight I'd like us to consider is that what has moved us as disciples of Jesus away from a rhythm of rest and grace towards a world of restless pursuit is the need for control. Because the antithesis to rest is not work. Sorry to break it to you for those who think they need a vacation. You might, but it's not because of work. The antithesis to rest is the pursuit of power. This is why it feels nearly impossible to be ever at peace within the work that we do. It's why we're constantly looking at different job boards and updating our resumes and our LinkedIn's. It's why we're so tempted to covet CEO positions yet look down on custodial positions. It's why we expect work to bring us rest because we've convinced ourselves that maybe, and only just maybe, if we have enough power, influence, and clout, then finally we'll have what we need to have peace in our souls. So tonight's message as we wrap up the series is finding rest in a powerless world. And we don't have to turn very far in our Bibles to find a story about control and power. Let us again turn to Genesis chapter 11. 
Now, this is a rather popular story because it's known as the Tower of Babel. And it's usually people see this story in kids' books or in just veggie tales as to how God caused there to be many languages spoken throughout the world. But what underlies this entire passage of scripture is one thing. It's the desire for power. So in this passage, as we read, we find humanity taking on a building project. They're architects here. We find that the people of Babel together come to, to the land of Shinar and they decide they're going to build a city and a tower. And they decide to use bricks and brittimen to build these things, which actually is the worst things you could use to build anything of anything of worth because they're structurally very weak. But right in the middle of verse four is where we find the purpose behind their building project. It says here, then they said to each other, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That's what's fueling this project, a desire to make a name for themselves. And then God comes on the scene and, it's, and it says that the Lord came down. You see, these people had put a lot of pride and effort in making this huge temple. And yet God still has to lower himself down because it's so tiny. He has to bend down and go, what's going on here? Because compared to where God is, all the work of our hands are tiny. So the Lord decides to confuse their languages and to disperse them throughout all the earth. So what's happening here? Like, is God just being annoying? Like, is he being like a helicopter parent? You know, he sees them gaining power and is like, you know what? I gotta like, gotta cut this out, you know? I gotta really want them to have that much power because they might not need me. Like, is he threatened by them? Like, I mean, really, what's wrong with wanting to make a name for yourself? It's what we do all the time, isn't it? It's what we do on our Instagrams. It's what we do on TikTok. It's what we do on YouTube. It's, do, it's what we do every time we go in for a job interview. We have to convince them that we're good enough for the position. We have to make much of ourselves to prove to others that we're actually worth investing in. That's what we do every day. So what's so wrong with it? See, what makes the pursuit of power so alluring is that it promises safety and security and status. Because what we're afraid to admit is that you and I are rather scared people. The reason why it's so easy to pursue power in our workplaces is because it's an easy place to see how much you've acquired in this life. Like, if, I, if I've acquired enough money, I can know because my paycheck tells me. And we then believe we have the power to live a life of comfort. And if we've acquired a high-paying job, then we believe we have the power to belittle those below us. And if we've put in enough years in our job, then finally we have the right to demand respect from others. And if we put in enough hours, we believe we have the power to request validation from those around us. Because the thing is, as we work to acquire power and control, all that we're really doing is this, is that we're building up a stockpile of achievements and accolades that shield us from people seeing us who we truly are, which is just human. It's all you are. That's all I am, human. And this is what's unfolding in Genesis 11, isn't it? These people get together and in a rather rushing fashion, they try to make much of themselves. Hey, come, 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 we gotta build. Hey, hey, come, 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 we, we, we gotta make this thing. Come, come on, come on, we gotta make much of ourselves. We gotta make a name for ourselves, come. Because if not, God's gonna ask us to do something we don't wanna do. Come. And isn't that the way the world works? Isn't that the way our corporations are? Jade just sent me a funny meme the other day 
where Apple just announced their iPhone 14. iPhone 13 just came out like a month ago. And then right, it was on a tweet, so right below it says, yo, even God rested, bro. <laughs> like Apple is part of the problem and we are part of it as well. Because if Apple doesn't release a new phone or information of a new phone within a certain amount of time, they're no longer relevant. Because their entire empire is built on making sure people see them as forward thinking and as fundamentally necessary to our existence. I mean, think about it. How many of you are willing to leave your phone at home? And this isn't just true about them, though. Can't just blame it on them. We can't just put it on them. It's true of you and me. We rush to do this task and we rush to finish that project so that we can finally be seen as more than what we actually are. No one ever says, wow, good for you for taking Saturday off. No, it's if you work through the weekend, they're like, wow, you're such a hard worker, man. I want to be like you someday. No, you don't. Nobody wants to lose Saturday and Sunday. But yet we're willing to give it up because we want people to think that we're more than what we are. And the words of the people of Babel echo in our very hearts. Let us make a name for ourselves. Doesn't that ring true? So let me ask you, what name do you want to make for yourself? Maybe the better question is, what do you want to be remembered as? Because that's what the people of Babel are really saying here. You don't just make a name for yourself for today. You want to make a name for yourself forever. You want to leave a legacy. Let us make a name for ourselves so that we can be remembered as the greatest of all time. You know the funny thing about this whole like greatest of all time conversation, whether it's uh, Michael Jordan or LeBron James, is that they still have to fight to do that even after retirement. It wasn't enough to be the greatest of all time during their seasons. It wasn't enough to be the greatest of all time during their career time. Because power is such a fickle thing. It requires us to uphold it for the rest of our lives. And the moment we're gone is the moment we're forgotten. And to put this story into context, the crazy thing is I was, I was reading Genesis, is that this is not just a, a one-generation story. This is four generations of people who did not want to be seen as lowly. If you look back to chapter 9, we see the story of the, the flood and, and, and Noah. And Noah is the one chosen by God to preserve a remnant of humanity after the flood. And Noah has three sons, and one of them is named Ham. And we find that the line of Ham is cursed by Noah to be a servant of servants in Genesis chapter 9, 25. And then Ham and his lineage, uh, Cush, Nimrod, and everybody else after that will be cursed to be servants of servants. And what is known about Nimrod is very few verses dedicated to him. But what we know is that he's a mighty warrior and he built a lot of cities. Guess what city he built? Babel. Babel was the very first city that, that Nimrod built. And it was a city of great worth and value. It's crazy to me that entire lineage of men and women despised serving others to the point that the only thing that they were focused on was to make a name for themselves. They didn't want to be a servant because they wanted to be a king. But being a king would not be enough for them. They didn't want to just be a king or a queen. What they really wanted was to be God. Read verse 4 again. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower where? With its top in the heavens. Let's work so 
stinking hard that finally we can be like God. They wanted to have the final say over their life. You see, God had commanded Adam and Eve a couple of things. It was really simple. Be fruitful and multiply throughout the whole earth. They disobeyed. Many generations later, complete disobeyment. God does the flood, brings Noah and his family, and then he gives them the same command. Be fruitful and multiply throughout the whole earth. But instead of following through with that, what do the people of Babel say? What does the end of verse 4 say? Lest, what? Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let me just tell you this. I'm just going to be pastoral or a friend. I'm just going to tell you straight out. You pursue power. Truly, you pursue power. You will never follow the will of God. Never. You can't have it both ways. You cannot pursue power and control and then turn to God and be like, hey, tell me what you need me to do. You can't have it both ways, y'all. If you're a disciple of Jesus here tonight and you're struggling with this thing in your workplace, I just need you to know, I don't hear from God. I don't know where God is leading me. It's probably because you're obsessed with power and control. It makes you deaf to what his heart is for you. So the flood happens, humanity's wiped, God restarts These people do not want to listen to God but they want to be like God so they can have a choice over their future. And is this not what power ultimately promises us? That power and control says you will be able to live out all your dreams and your desires. Every need and want will be met. You just need to have enough power to have control over your destiny. Because what resides in our hearts, and I wish I could say it hides in the deepest crevice of it, but it actually probably is on the surface is that you and I have a secret God complex. Did you know that? That you and I are so desperate to be just like God. We want to be God because then, right, then we'll be safe. Because if we're gods, nobody can reject us. If we're gods, nobody can stop us. If we're gods, nothing is out of our reach. If we're gods, we'll finally be enough. If we're gods, maybe we won't feel as empty as we feel every day. But it's a facade. And our jobs, our workplaces, both reveal and hide our God complex because it reveals, it reveals it because we can't bring ourselves to rest from work because if we work, I mean, if we rest, who's going to protect our power? But then work also hides our God complex because it distracts us and busies us so that we don't even realize that we've given up our souls to try to be like God. But the pursuit of power and control doesn't make you a God. It makes you a slave you do not become the master of power. Power masters you. And this is exactly why God has to enter into the story like the way he does. God is not threatened by acquisition of power. He's not threatened by human power. He is, not, he is in a league of his own. He's not trying to squash you so that you'll never grow. No, he's trying to remove the weeds out of your life so that you can finally grow. He doesn't find pleasure in toppling the, the things that you make because he created us to work and make wondrous and beautiful things with our hands. He's made us to do really great things. But he comes onto the scene in the way that he does and thwarts the efforts of the people of Babel because he loves them. 
He knows that the system of power that they're playing with, and he knows that it will enslave them. Because what happens is not only does it enslave you, but is that it'll never stop. Think about it. When will it be enough? When will it be enough power? When will it be enough control? Like if the people had kept living under the mantra of let us make a name for ourselves, when would we be satisfied? Human history has showed us that nothing will stop you and I. Human genocide, environmental destruction, human trafficking, I mean, even technological advancements that swear they're for our good, but robs us of ever being present with one another. You know who it's good for? It's good for the tech company, it's good for the investors. It ain't good for you and me. But let us make a name for ourselves, why don't we? But it'll lead to our downfall, and God comes in and says, no, no. I don't want you to be slaves to brokenness. I have made you to experience goodness in me to the fullest. And and honestly, glory be to God that he does that. Glory be to God that he intervenes the way he does. Because are you and I not tired of this? Are we not tired of this work culture? Where men have to be manipulative and abusive so that they can be a CEO. Where women have to be cold and hard just so they can hold the the, the title of girl boss. Listen, I need you to know something. Both are horrible. Both are terrible. They're not who you really are. You're not a girl boss. You're You're a daughter of the king. You're not a manipulative jerk. You're a son of the king. That is who you are. Not what these things make you want to be. But both of these things we die for. I love this quote by Henry Nouwen, who is much calmer than I am. (laughs) And you'd get it through his readings, but I'm going to recite this rather long quote, but I hope it resonates. He says this, At issue here is the question, to whom do I belong, to God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me, ha- makes me angry, and a little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits, and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. Often I am like a small little boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. All the time and energy I spend in keeping some kind of balance and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows that my life is mostly a struggle for survival. Not a holy struggle, but an anxious struggle resulting from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me. As long as I keep running about asking, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I give all the power to the voices of the world and put myself in bondage because the world is filled with ifs. The world says, yes, I love you. If you are good looking, intelligent, and wealthy. I love you if... You have a good education, a good job, and good connections. I love you if you produce much, sell much, and buy much. There are endless ifs hidden in the world's love. These ifs enslave me since it is impossible to respond adequately to all of them. The world's love is and always will be conditional. As long as I keep looking for my true self in the world of conditional love, I will remain hooked to the world, trying, failing, and trying again. It is a world that fosters addictions because what it offers cannot satisfy the deepest craving of my heart. Power and control will never satisfy the deepest craving in your heart because it's built on ifs, ifs, 
and ifs. And if you work hard enough, you'll be powerful enough. If you never sleep, maybe you'll be satisfied. If, if, if. But what if there was another way? Would you take it? Or is this what you want? Is there a way for us to break ourselves out from under the tyranny of the pursuit of power? Yeah. It's one word. Want to guess what it is? Yes, but that's later. Rest. <laughs> Rest. I love that you're so confident too, and I thank you. Because in the garden, yes, God created us to work. It's true. But he also, again, created us to rest. In Genesis 2, we find God establishes something beautiful called Shabbat, Sabbath. And Sabbath is a day that God designed both, both designed and instructed his people to observe as a day where they would cease from working. The premise of Shabbat is not about idleness or laziness because rest doesn't really come from doing nothing. You know how I know this? Remember when we were all in quarantine? Like we didn't have to go out. We were on our phones watching TikTok all the time, mindlessly scrolling through our IG feeds or how about, I call the IG feeds, Instagram feeds. <laughs> we're like, you guys all feel real old. Like, or how about binge watching everything from Tiger King to Ted Lasso? Also, I heard there's a, t- a Tiger King 2 coming out. That's kind of crazy. You know what we all discovered from spending so much time not doing very much of anything? Is that we were just as tired by doing nothing as we were when we were doing something. See, Shabbat did not mean that the Israelites were to stay motionless in bed all day. Shabbat was meant to be a day where they remembered this, that the world does not keep circling because they're working, but that the world spins on the very fingertips of a good creator named God, Yahweh. In Jewish custom, when people saw each other on Shabbat, they would say this blessing over each other. They would say, Shabbat Shalom. Say it with me. Shabbat Shalom, which means Sabbath peace. But what they were blessing each other with wasn't a, hey, Shabbat Shalom. I hope you have a nice day, man. See you later. No. Instead, it was Shabbat Shalom. Remember that Shabbat is about you and me being restored to wholeness because God God carries the universe in his hands, not you. And isn't that what we want? To feel whole again? To not be so swayed easily by praise or rejection? To not always have to ask, do you love me? And do you love me? To not always wonder, why am I even in this world? But instead to be told that you're whole. And guess who does that work? Jesus. And while the answer is simple, it's the most terrifying thought imaginable to us. Because we've been so conditioned by this world to believe that we have to depend on ourselves. That if there's ever a need, if we ever need somebody, it's only so much so that we can use them for our benefit, not for relationship. But God did not create us to be independent. You see, if God is the creator, which he is, and we are his creation, which we are, we have to depend on him for life and provision because independence is not an option for us. God existed without us, not the other way around. So the role that we take in this life is not a role of independence, but of dependency. It's not a life of self-sufficiency, 
but of dependency. Our role is to recognize our limits. We are limited creatures. We are not the creator. Therefore, we're not self-sustaining as God is. And you see, Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. The people of Babel wanted to be like God. And we want to be like God. In trying to become something that we never could be, we lost the ability to be the only thing that we were ever meant to be, human. And all of human history, we've been searching for ourselves in anything else that we can. That's why Sabbath is not a day off. Sabbath is not laziness. Sabbath is an expression of our faith because faith that there is a creator and that he's good. That we are his creation, that this is his world, that we live under his roof, drink his water, eat his food, breathe his oxygen. So on the Sabbath, we don't take a day off from work. We take a day off from toil. We give him all our fear and all our anxiety and all our stress and all our worry. We stop ruling and subduing and we just get to be. We remember our place in this universe so that we never forget there is a God and you and I are not him. BT Dubs, this was John Mark Comer. Do you want to copyright this? It's not me. I should have told you that. But that whole paragraph was him. So before you start clapping for me, it's him. It's not the power that I want. How do we resist the pursuit of power then? We remember that we are children of, good, of a good God who uses the universe as his storehouse and he looks to give us generously of himself at all times. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 6. I'll take us there. He's giving his famous Sermon on the Mount and he's speaking to a people much like us who have a same internal struggle. Right before he gives this passage, he's speaking to a people who believe that their earthly treasures will bring them security and safety. But this is what he responds to them in chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. I'll read it for you if you're not there. And maybe it's just good just to listen to this. Jesus says to you and to me and to them, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what will you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? I mean, just consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Do you see who's working in that equation? It's not the birds. It ain't the grass. It's not the lilies. It's not you. It's not me. God works so that we don't have to. And now I'm not telling you, go put in your two-week notice. No, don't quit your jobs. You do need the money to pay for your bills. What I'm saying is that God works to make you whole so that you don't have to work as a slave to the pursuit of power and control. God works so that you don't have to work for human accomplishments and accolades. God works so that you don't have to work to be loved. God works so that you don't have to strive to be anything than what you were created to be. You simply work because it's a good gift from God that we used to worship him and serve others. 
Nowhere, anywhere, nowhere in scripture do we see Jesus working to gain power. In fact, Philippians 2 says that Jesus, even though he was a son of God, did not strive for power. He was completely reliant on the Father's love for him, depending on the God, the Father, to use all his resources on the behalf of his beloved son. And so as we read the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is looking at us and saying is, don't you see how our Father takes care of the creation? Are you not more important than the birds of the sky? Are you not more important than, these, than the grass that is here in one day and not the next? If God takes care of these things, will he not take care of you? I love what Paul says in Romans 8, 32. He says, God, who did not spare his own son but gave him up us for us all, how will he not also in him graciously give you all things? So what does this have to do with work? You see, because of Jesus... We enter a far better Sabbath rest than the Israelites ever experienced. They got to experience it once a week, but we get to experience rest every day. Because Sabbath rest isn't about you catching up on sleep. It's about finally experiencing peace in your soul. And that's a rest that no one can take away from you. In fact, the peace that we're looking for, that, we're convinced, that we've convinced ourselves only comes with power and control, was eternally secured on 33 AD on the cross of Calvary. And the moment that Jesus says, it is finished. You were brought into the rest that our hearts have been longing for. It's not a question of if. It is finished. And if we look to Christ to be our satisfaction, to be the source of our security and safety, we don't have to unnecessarily burden our work to grant us the desires of our heart. No, work finally becomes a gift and not a curse. Wouldn't that be sweet to think about tomorrow as a gift and not as a curse on your day? So as I wrap up tonight, I'd like to provide you a couple of ways that you can practice the way of Jesus in your day-to-day life. Sabbath rest is meant to be experienced every day, and God is not stingy. He wants peace for our souls and desires for us to be tethered to him. So if you're somebody who's struggling with rest, and I know this can make seem like another task to put on, please don't. We'll start small. All I'm saying is take a day, half a day, give me three hours, you know, just, just start with something small. Schedule it, put it in your calendar. And as you put it on your calendar, there's multiple avenues of rest that you can take. You can maybe sleep in, take a nap. When's the last time y'all take a nap? Naps are bomb. Let me just tell you, babs are good. Go for a walk. Be in nature. Listen, if you're somebody who, who works a lot as, on a desk job, I would encourage you to do something with your hands, maybe gardening, be in nature. If you're someone who does a lot of work with their hands, construction, try to avoid any of that. Do something different and distinct from your week. Maybe meditation. Uh, maybe listening to jazz. I don't know. Like, <laughs> but as you seek to schedule Sabbath in your day, my encouragement ultimately is to spend time meditating on the word of God and remembering the purpose of Sabbath, that your needs will be met, that you do not have to make a name for yourself because you are already, you do not have to make a name for yourself because you are already a masterpiece. You don't need to be God, which means you're finally free to be human. You don't have to use God's good gifts to find fulfillment because he is what fills every crevice of your heart. If you're someone who is accustomed now to those who maybe have 
Experience Sabbath rest for a little. Try and find times in your everyday where you can intentionally seek the rest of God. Listen, we are a distracted and busy people. Doesn't matter what generation you are. Parents, our parents have Facebook, millennials have Instagram, and Gen Z runs TikTok, but we are all acquainted with distraction. I love what Corey Tenboom says. It says, if the devil cannot make you sin, he'll make you busy. Both sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. So maybe shut your phone off for a couple hours. Tomorrow, just shut it off. Maybe delete Instagram for a day or a week or even a month. And if it's already causing you stress, it probably means you need to do it. Maybe it's time to finally create margin in your life to be with others. Or maybe it's just time to get organized with your schedule. But what I want you to hear more than anything is while these ways are helpful in cultivating a life of rest in a powerless world, remember, rest is not secured by how well you do these things. Jesus secures our rest so we don't have to secure it for ourselves. And power will tempt you. It will seek to yell quite loudly in your life. Power says, I have to be in control. Rest says, God's in control. Power says, I can never stop working. Rest says, God has never stopped working, so I can finally rest. I'll pray and have the worship team come up. Lord, I need you to come in and topple my tower. I need you to not let us go and build our own kingdoms. I need you to remind us that we need you. And God, I beg you, if there are any of us that are trying to make a name for ourselves, would you softly place your hand on our hearts and remind us, you died for us. We don't need to make a name for ourselves. We've already been written in your heart. God, I pray that there are those of us who are afraid to rest, that we would find our rest in you. Lord God, I long for the day where we will be with you, where there will be no striving and no toil, where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering. But until that day comes, Lord, give us the peace that only your spirit can bring a peace that goes beyond all understanding, that defies reality, that causes people to ask, why are you so happy in a place that is so destructive? And that we can respond, it's because we serve a God who has never stopped working. And in the same way that he keeps the world spinning, he keeps me protected in his hands. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults Podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.